lift his name higher, isn't it? That's what he desires from us. This is a song that we uh, learned last week. Uh, well, I didn't learn it last week. I taught it to you last week, so hopefully it's fresh on your mind. Um, sing together. Your kindness leads me to repentance. Your goodness draws me to your side. Your mercy calls me to be like you.
sing this next song without thinking about sheep, right? Because we know that as God, our good shepherd, would leave the 99 that are safe in the bin to go find the one, right? I was reminded this week as I was reading in 1 Samuel about David, um, kind of saying, yeah, I, I can go out and defeat Goliath. I said, go ahead, I'll, I'll go. And they're like, what? You're just this puny little boy, right? Right? How's that going to work? And he said, no, no, no. I've been tending to the shepherd or to the sheep. And, and when the bears and the lions would come, I'd go get them and rip the sheep out of their mouths. What? This shepherd that defeats the bears and the lions that have come to attack. I, I don't know. My mind was blown when I read that. I probably knew that. But it was that, you know, when the word of God speaks fresh to you. It was one of those moments. This, this has also reminded me, there's this video going around. I don't know if you guys have seen it on social media of this sheep kind of prancing around and he's stuck in this little crack, this little crevice. And the guy comes, the shepherd comes and just like, you know, pulls, pulls him out by his legs. And the sheep goes on and he's dancing, prancing all around. Freedom, right? And then like two seconds later, he's right back in the crack. <laughs> just cracking up like how much is this us but we have a good shepherd and praise his name that our good shepherd also he teaches us how to stay out of that crack right praise his name let's sing about his love
pray together. Almighty God, whom truly to know is everlasting life, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. All right. This morning, I need uh, young people. I need your help here, okay? All right. We good? Are we awake? Thank you. Okay, here we go. I'm going to say something, and then I need you to just respond. All right? Okay? Chicken wing, chicken wing. Yes, thank you, Lenina. All right, let's got it. I need. We need more help than just Lenina. That was good. That was good. Let's try another one. I need more than just Lenina, though. All right, because I know. All right, savage love. <laughs> not that one, Amy. Amy, not that one. That was like thirty years ago, Amy. All right, let's try that again. Savage love. All right. Okay. Come on, guys. You guys, more of you know this. I know that you do. You pretend like you don't know. Okay, let's try one more. I'm a savage. <laughs> okay, all right. You guys are disappointing to me. You guys made me, 
You guys made me look like a fool up here. All right, so, okay, that, that was silly. That was silly. They're, they're TikTok videos, whatever, okay. Uh, here, here's, I, I spoke, right? I said something, and my young people, to some of them, responded appropriately. You may have, like, you're just like, I have no idea what that is. I don't either. I just know that they, they responded appropriately. Let me ask you, that. okay, young people, you may, know, you may not answer this one, okay? Non-young people. I'm included in there, okay? Um, somebody tell me what our youth ministry name is. Respond, yes, yes, respond student ministries. In youth group, for the next four weeks, we are taking a deep dive into why are we called respond student ministry. You guys saw that, didn't you? You cheated. Oh, man, I was so impressed that you guys knew what our youth ministry name was. And you saw, ah, man, okay. We're called Respond Student Ministries, and we're taking a deep dive into why are we called Respond. Let me just give you a brief insight, and so you know where we're going, so you also know why your teenagers, why their group is called Respond Student Ministries. This comes from a very simple definition of worship that uh, I've been taught and that I've kind of incorporated into my life and my ministry, and it's this. Worship is a trusting, obedient response to the Word of God. Okay, it's simple. Trusting, obedient response to the Word of God. And what we're going to do, and what I would encourage you to kind of notice, start to notice and uh, involve in your way of living, is that God has, from the very beginning of time, God has kind of incorporated or built into the very fabric of all of creation this system of God speaking and creation responding. Think about the very beginning and how God created. What did God do to, to create? What did he do? He spoke. He said, let there be light. And how did creation respond? With light, right? And, and it goes on and on throughout all of creation, but not just creation. If you look through the entire Bible, it's this pattern of God speaking and creation responded God spoke to Abraham to go and what did Abraham do he went right he spoke to Noah to build an ark and what did Noah do he responded by building an ark he he spoke to Moses to go set his people free and what did Moses do he responded obediently he trusted and obeyed he spoke to Mary and Mary responded appropriately. He spoke to Joseph, and, and Joseph was a little bit like, yeah, it took him a little while, but, but he eventually responded in a trusting, obedient way, and what we call that is worship, right? Like, they truly worshiped, and so my challenge, and so this is kind of where we're going in, in youth group, uh, and my challenge to you is what if, what if we began to live our lives like every single aspect of our life was in response to God's word. I would actually say that there's nothing that we can do about it, that every single aspect of our life and everything that we do is actually responding to God's word. But what if, what if rather than just responding, what if we took the time to make sure that we were responding in a trusting and obedient way? We talk about having a lifestyle of worship, living a life of worship. What would it look like? If every time God spoke, whether it be through a song that we sing together or a message that Pastor Paul brings in just a minute, or what if it's even God speaking out in the world around us and we, we see something and we hear God speaking, what if we responded appropriately? What if we 
trusted and obeyed and responded accordingly. What would life look like if all of life was an act of worship? We're going to listen to Pastor Paul as he brings God's word through a sermon. Thank you, Pastor Josh. I don't have any silly song lyrics for you to sing. I'm sorry. Um, we're in the middle of our 40 uh, series. Uh, we're in week three of, of 40, and of course, we're exploring uh, the, the 40 days that Jesus appeared after the, the resurrection and before his ascension into heaven. And, and we began this series with a very simple idea that we have been sent on a mission, that, that when Jesus meets with his disciples, as, we, as we've explored uh, these individual meetings with the disciples, and, and that's the group we focused on, what Jesus has said to his disciples, uh, we have seen that he has sent them on a mission, and we have been sent on a mission. And so we begin to explore what does mission look like. And last week we talked about the ideal of proclaiming repentance, that, that God is calling us in, into this relationship with him, that the kingdom of heaven is near, and there's this possibility that we can turn from one way of life to another way of life and fully encounter God. And, you know, this is good news. And, and we've been given the opportunity to walk alongside people and deliver this good news of what God wants for them in their life and what God wants to do in their life to, to call them from, from a, a life that's traveling away from him to a life that's moving towards him. And this week we're going to look at John 21. And this is a, a longer passage. This is the second time we'll be in John as we look through these encounters. This is the, the third time that Jesus has encountered the disciples that's, that's recorded in the book of John. And so we'll walk through this just a little bit slower this morning. John 21 beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll also come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Let's, let's stop just there just for a moment. Can, can, we, can we get the context of this? This is after the resurrection. According to, to John, there's been two appearances with the disciples in the time after the resurrection, the night of the resurrection and then eight days later. And so now we have this time in between this third visit. There's, you know, it, it, he, he, he ascends at 40 days. And so it's less than a month time uh, between the first appearance, the second appearance, and this appearance. And yet what it really feels like here is that the disciples, uh, particularly Simon Peter and Thomas, are giving up. That, that, that they're going back to their previous way of life. And th this includes Thomas, you know, the, the, the one he came to particularly. And, and Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. And, and so in this 30-day period, less than 30-day period, Thomas seems to be giving up and joining Peter and going back to life as normal. <laughs> God is moving. Amen? God's moving. There's this resurrection. And yet in the life of the disciples, there's this, oh well, time to move on. After less than a month. 
And I think there's a lesson in, in this for, for all of us. Traumatic events skew our perception of time. And perhaps some of you are in the midst of a, of a traumatic event. And as a pastor, I've seen this over and over and over again. That in the midst of trauma, sometimes life, a day, seems like forever. And yet we've got this short period of time and, and they've moved on. And, and maybe in your life, there's been something that you've moved on from that if you would just take a step back and look at it reasonably through the eyes of not trauma, but just really the elapsing of time, and maybe you should still be waiting. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you, not have any, do you, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. He said, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the, the, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, who's writing the book, uh, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in uh, the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out of the boat, land, out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Just stop right there. Right, right here in this passage, Jesus was reminding them of his first encounter with them, his first call of them, that this miraculous catch of fish. Jesus is bringing them back, to their attention back to the time that he first called them from fishing. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. This is a fascinating exchange. And even as we've read through it, you, you can feel the emotion in this encounter with Jesus, with the one who had betrayed him and had denied him. He's taking Peter back purposefully to his denial. There, there's this reference to a charcoal fire, and there's one other instance in the Gospels where this particular name for a fire in the Greek is used, and it's in that outer courtyard where, where Peter had denied Jesus' name. It's the only other place it's used. 
And so Jesus has started this fire, and John's helping us to understand that when Jesus is, Peter is approaching Jesus, what he's smelling, anybody ever have a real strong fire around you? <laughs> what he's smelling immediately is reminding him of the night that he denied Jesus. He gives him three opportunities to answer, and, and Jesus is, is giving him three opportunities to reverse this denial. You can't deny that in this passage, Jesus is taking Peter directly back to his worst failure. You know, sometimes it takes that, right? To come to the point of repentance, to come to the point of, of getting our, our mind and our heart straight. It takes this ideal, this, this willingness to go back where we messed up, where we failed. Interestingly, in the Greek, and, and, and can we acknowledge Jesus isn't speaking Greek here, Jesus is speaking Aramaic, but, but, but somehow the Greek is trying to convey something to us. And in the Greek, Jesus says two times to, to, to Peter, he says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me like God loves you? And two times Peter responds, Jesus, you know I love you like a brother. So, so, so there's two times where it's just like that. Jesus, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know I love you like a brother. And then the third time Jesus says, Peter, do you filio me? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter responds, you know I love you like a brother. He says, Simon, son of John, three times. Not Peter, not the rock. But Simon. And Jesus is saying, Peter, Simon, who are you going to be? <laughs> are, are you going to be Simon, son of John? Or are you going to be Peter, the rock upon which I'm going to build my church? All these things are going on in this little encounter with Simon Peter. But the purpose of this series and the nature of Peter's sending is what I want us to see today. Jesus says, if you love me, tend, shepherd, feed my sheep. Jesus invites Peter to love him, to show his love for him by caring for others. And that invitation to Peter is our invitation as well. Jesus invites us to love him by caring for others. So we've been sent. We've been sent to proclaim the kingdom. We've been sent to, to proclaim this ideal of repentance. We've been sent to show the kingdom. But we're also sent to show our love for God by meeting the needs of of others. Now, now Jesus, and we talked about this, Jesus is the first apostle. Jesus is the first sent one. And, and Jesus had this aspect of his ministry of meeting the needs of others. You can't read the life of Jesus without seeing him meet the needs of other people. He, he heals over and over again, Jesus heals. I love the story of the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. So the feeding of the 10 to 15,000. In this, in this feeding of the 5,000, the 15,000, whatever number you want to put with it, Jesus is meeting 
real needs. This isn't spiritual food. Jesus is providing physical food. Who likes physical food at lunch instead of just spiritual food? Can I see a show of hands? It's meeting real needs. So, so the ideal of caring for others, healing, meeting real needs, is found throughout Scripture. And Jesus calls us to do the same. To, 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 to extend his sent ministry, to be apostles that follows his, his calling of meeting the needs of others. And I, I don't think it's no strongly indicated than in Matthew 25. And I'm going to read this out of the message, beginning in verse 31. When, the, when he, Jesus, finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out the sheep and the goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you, are, you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. And those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes, sick and in prison, and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? He will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. You know, as I read this, I, and I, I've used this quote often, but, 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 but I, I think it's a, it fits this. Uh, Mark Twain is famous for saying, it's not the things in Scripture that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that do. <laughs> this is pretty clear. What Jesus is calling us to do. And it goes back to the words of Peter. Jesus invites us to love him by caring for others. Um, Mother Teresa took this ideal to heart. And so Mother Teresa, as she ministered to the dying in Calcutta, fully believed that she was ministering to Jesus. She didn't think this was a spiritual thing. She was ministering physically to Jesus. And so Mother Teresa would say, I have seen Jesus 
in the most distressing of disguises. And as she's ministering to these people, in her heart of hearts, she's loving Jesus. Probably one of my primary theological influencers is, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, uh, you know, I was digging into his, his writings again this week, and, and Bonhoeffer is absolutely fascinating. If you've never read any of Bonhoeffer, to see the shift in Bonhoeffer and how he perceives things from, from early in his life until his time in prison, uh, there, there's a huge there's a shift as he begins to see what really matters when he sees the church in Germany, the organized church, bow down to the authority of, of the Nazis. And Bonhoeffer, in these prison letters, says, faith is the participation in the being of Jesus, incarnation, cross, and resurrection. All three of those words are crucial to understand. That, that Bonhoeffer is saying, if, if we're going to live a life of faith, we have to be fully present in the world. Well, we have to live lives that are sacrificial. And in our sacrifices, we need to be allowing God to be resurrecting us. In our incarnational part, parts of our lives, Jesus was sent to meet the needs of the world, and we're also sent. So, so we see the world differently. We see our neighbor differently. We love our neighbor as ourself, and we see Jesus even in the least of these. Bonhoeffer concludes in the prison letters, and he uses this phrase that we're coming to an age of religionless Christianity that's highly controversial. But he says this, he says, the move towards God is not inward or otherworldly, but it's a move into the world towards the neighbor that I physically see. It's towards the least of these. And we live in a, in a, in a world, <laughs> in a time, which I believe is very dangerous for the church. Uh, we live at the I believe the end of this COVID year where everything has become private and individual. We, we live in the midst of live stream church and, and I think it serves a purpose, but if live stream church is all there is, it does not move us into the world, it does not move us into relationship with each other and we will never develop as God is calling us to develop in that way. If Bonhoeffer is right and we're called to others, this private living room only form of Christianity will never move us towards God. We need others to be all that God has called us to be. We need to serve others. We need, we need to serve others. We need to be involved in ministries. The, the truth is, the church needs you. We don't go to church. We are the church. Can you say that with me? We don't go to church. We are the church. 
So, so this isn't just something that we come and we observe, but all of us in this room have a place that there should be very few merely observers to what's going on in this room. All of us should be participating in some manner or some way. Um, I was in the back of the room, and we were singing, and uh, you know, I was waiting for Josh to be in here because Josh is doing his seniors. He's doing his senior Bible study during the first service, which is great. I'm glad they spend that time together before they're out of the youth group. And, and so he is over there, but he's doing the next-gen moment, and I'm kind of think, thinking, oh, I just, is anybody going to tell Josh when it's time to get over here and, and all that? And so, so you know, I'm kind of looking for him, and, 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 and then we're singing Reckless Love, and in the middle of Reckless Love, I've got my hands up, my eyes are closed, and, and then I put him down, I look, and there's Josh standing next to me. I said, man, was I just like into worship? Because, yeah, it just walked right by you. Yeah, there's a place for that. But I don't think that's the only place of worship. That, that there's also this place of worship where our eyes are wide open. And we look around us, and this room is full of people with hurts and happiness and joy and sorrow, and we worship together, and we share these things, and in the dynamics of sharing these things, God does something unique and special that can't happen in my living room by myself. Look around you. Take, take some time. Look around you. This is the church. The church that Jesus loved and died for because he believes it is significant not only for the kingdom but for us as individuals. See, we're called to see each other. We're called to meet each other's needs. In this building on Sunday morning, there's multiple needs. There's multiple things that need to happen for this to happen successfully. It's not just about Amy and her praise team and me getting up and then having a next-gen moment. It's not just about sound and all those things that happen. There's so much that goes into a Sunday morning service. And if people don't participate, the level of success, the level of, of what can happen here declines. Yeah. God kind of trusts us to do our part. We need each other. We need people with our kids. We need people serving coffee. We need people welcoming. We need people making sure we're secure. When we're not meeting, there's always things that can be done in the physical building. Walls can be built. Walls can be painted. There's things for us that we can all be doing. This is God's house. And much like your house and my house, there's always things. That, who, who would say amen? There's always things that need to be done at the house. Landscaping. We need you. The, the, the truth is, I, I mean, we, we do. We, we need you, not just as observers of what's going on, but participants in the kingdom and what God is doing in this place. If you feel like you're merely observing, if you want more, we'll help you find your place. 
What would our church look like if no one was simply observing, but everyone was participating in some way in our time together? The truth is, our community needs you. We don't go to church. We are the church. Bonhoeffer writes, The church is the church only when it exists for others. Not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. Are, are you the church outside these walls? We'll, we'll help you find your place. There, there's so many areas that you can serve in in our community, and we will help you find your place. There's ministries that we do as a church. Tuesday nights, we, we serve meals to single mothers. And, and Emily could use your help. We need you. I've been looking through Right Now Media. I hope you're looking at Right Now Media. And you're going to get sick of me talking about because I'm telling you, it's the best resource as a pastor I've ever given to my people. It's, it's full of videos for private Bible study if you want to do it. But what if you talk to a neighbor or a coworker or, or, or somebody that your kids play sports with and say, hey, our church just gave us all these videos and there's this like really cool four-week video series. How about we watch it together and sit down and talk about it over a cup of coffee? What, what if God is wanting to use you and I know this is mind-blowing. What if God's wanting to use you right where you work, right where you live? What would happen in our community if there was not just a certain percentage, and there's many in our community that's really serving, but if we all found our place? The church needs you. Our community needs you. And the truth is, this is what God wants for you. If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to be incarnational like Jesus. Jesus does not call us to being spectators, but participants. I'm once again training for another marathon, and with a body like this, you can see why. And so in Nashville, on November 13th, I, I'll be running my second marathon. I've run several halves. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's crazy. It's, it, and, and my little brother, it's funny, he always makes fun of me when I, when I make fun of this. How many people will come to a marathon and cheer other people running at marathons? i got to tell you, I'm not getting out of bed at 7 o'clock to cheer somebody struggling down the street like me, Right? But, but you'll find, and, and those of you who have run any of these races, you'll find there's just thousands of people on the streets that are cheering for you. They don't even know who you are. Woo! It's like, get a life. Um, <laughs> the truth is, I'm convicted when I say that because they are participating. They're encouraging. That's a good thing. All right? So if you do that, God bless you. Uh, thank you for all you do. But the reality is this. As a participant, I'm gaining far more benefit to that marathon 
than anybody standing on the street and encouraging me as I run, right? There's all the train, there's all the effort, and, and, and the reality is, if, if I don't kill myself in my training, I'll be better off physically because I was a participant, not merely a spectator. In your life, God uses us best when we participate in what he's doing. True discipleship takes participation. So what could God do in your life? But what, what would happen if you're in your life if, if this inward thing, this, this private thing, this, this otherworldly thing that, that sometimes we practice as Christianity move from just this inward and this otherworldly to out to the neighbor that we see, to the people that live in your house, to the people that are in this church, to the visible world? Well, what if we began to understand that Jesus is inviting us not just to love him in this, this unseen way, but to love him through the people that we see and participate with, in life with? What could God do in your home? Now, we didn't focus on the cards earlier. We're, we're focusing now because I, I want you to respond. And if we could put the QR code. There, there's the QR code. You, you can use your phones. You can actually have your phone out now. So if you're wanting to play games, you just want to pull it out, and here's your excuse, okay? But, but we want to hear from you. We, we want to hear if we can help you in any way. There's cards in front of you. You can fill those out. You, you can get on, 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 on a web browser and type in marynaz.org, and you'll come directly to this card as well. We want to know how we can assist you. We want to know how we can pray for you, join you in what God's trying to do. We want to help you as you try to find your place. Can, can I tell you, as a staff, we sit around and dream about all the ways people could serve in our church. You know, we, we want to see not only all of our adults, but our kids and our teens living with this ideal that church is a place of service. It's a place where I can meet the needs of others. That, that, that something happens in my life when I focus less on my needs and more on the needs of others. What could God do in your life? What, what could God do in your home, your family? What could God do in this church if God were to move fresh and new in your life and my life. You know, Peter and Thomas and all of them, really, even the one that Jesus loved, they're confused, they're upset, they're hurt, they're defeated. And in that, in that place, I'm going fishing. Here's our car call this morning. Are you fishing when you should be feeding? It's time to put the fishing poles away. And it's time to get about the business of God. You know, we're going to give you some altar time. And, and I've really, I don't know, God's just kind of been moving in my life um, and talking to me about this. I know it's 10 o'clock. Um, to me, Altars matter. 
because, not because there's something unique or special about altars. You can do these things in your, in your, in your chairs. You, can, you know, I, I feel like I was sanctified in a Toyota Corolla. It wasn't even a Honda. But there's something that happens when we physically respond to God. And altars are these things that we, we come and we kneel and we bow and it's physical, it's real. Can I be honest? In my life, kind of built into my DNA was an altar. And so over and over in my life, I can't count the number of times that, that I came to an altar as a response to a sermon, to a message, to God speaking. You know, I'd feel that little thing in my gut and think, oh, you know, my heart would beat and I would come forward. And so it's kind of been built into my DNA when God speaks, I move. I respond. Sometimes I'm slower than others. But what I've found is responding here makes it easier to respond out there. When God speaks in the hard times, if you've built into your life this habit, is I'm going to respond. If there's anything God's speaking to me, saying to me, I'm going to respond. If you build that into your DNA in the easy times, it's much easier in the hard times to respond. So all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I'm not going to twist your arms, but I believe in the altar. And I believe God's speaking to some of you. And I just invite you to respond quickly before I close this in prayer. Lord, I confess. There's been times in my life I've made this, um, this call from you, something that's simply between me and you inward otherworldly and Lord I pretended that everything's okay between me and you when sometimes everything's not okay between me and those I see that's not the invitation the, the invitation Lord that you give is to love you by loving others. There's two parts to the great command, to love God with all that we are, but to also love our neighbor as ourself. It's so easy, Heavenly Father, to, to sometimes just get caught up in that first part. That's easy. The truth is, you've never done me wrong. You've never got on my nerves. People, on the other hand, Lord, sometimes they're hard. But Lord, I appreciate that you call your church to hard things, to big things things that are beyond our ability. You move us out of comfort zones. You place us in, in, in situations 
where we have the ability to show Jesus, to show the kingdom. You invite us to demonstrate the power of the kingdom through our love, to be present, to be sacrificial, to, to allow the resurrection to be welling up within us, overflowing our lives. Help me, Lord. Help me not to be content with being a Sunday morning proclaiming Christian. But Lord, help me to be a Monday through Saturday wherever I'm planted, wherever I'm sent, demonstrating the kingdom in all its glory. Lord, the truth is, I feel like our church is on the cusp of something new and dynamic. But Lord, for that to happen, we have to say yes. So Lord, help us to be people who are willing to say yes to you, willing to serve in a children's department, willing to serve in one service and attend another service, who's willing to, to, to help greet people, make coffee, to, to work in the building, Lord, as, as we need things done. But Lord, more than that, we'll find our places of service outside these walls. Lord, we have a world that is dying, that's hungry for hope, and you call us to be your hope, present and visible. Lord, may it be so in our lives. Now, Lord, we're thankful because we've sensed your presence in this service. I sense you. You're moving. You're moving in me. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you'll help me not to lose that feeling in this, that, that I have right now, Lord, but I will pursue that. I will continue to respond to you. And Lord, as you call me, as you direct me, I will go where you send me. Now be with us as we go about our separate lives, as we go to Sunday school classes, as we go to serve in different areas. And, and Lord, be with us, and may your kingdom continue to be present in the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.